Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Elizabeth Wesley Casella, who is the founder and CEO of L12 Services a Washington, D.C. firm focused on internal communications and organizational development. She is a skilled strategic advisor specializing in attrition mitigation, workflow management, process improvement, and culture. She has over 20 years of experience as an administrator and policy and programming consultant. Her work has contributed to successful project outcomes in federal health policy, international program development, and nonprofit association management. And we have quite the conversation, not only around her getting started moments, because she has a unique transition to getting to what she's doing today, but also we spend a lot of time talking about preventing and reversing the great resignation, which is a hot topic I know in the business world today. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation I have with Elizabeth. And without further ado, please welcome in Elizabeth Wesley Casella. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I, I'm very excited to chat with you. I know we caught up a little while in the past, and it's good to have you um, on here officially to talk through your story. Because again, you know, what I love about this podcast, I mean, gosh, it's been over four years doing it. What I love about it is just all the different type of people. Like you and I would have never met. I know we got introduced, but like we would have never met, most likely, right? We live in different areas of the world, right? We we don't do the same thing. So so it's kind of fun to serendipitously meet new people and then see, oh, wait a minute, your life is totally different than mine and probably every listener on this podcast, but yet there's a lot of similarities, right? So how can those similarities and use those as, as learning lessons? Um, anyways, so that's where I want to start. So welcome again to the podcast. Thanks for, for being on here. Let's start with, before we get into all this stuff, because I think we can go down a rabbit hole on organizational, you know, improvements and, and all of that great resignation stuff I want to talk about. I want to, I want to talk about your journey from transitioning because you're in the nonprofit world, right? And then you decide to do your own thing and transition that way. Could you share for everyone just maybe a little, maybe an inflection point or two of how you got to the point where, yeah, this is not working for me. I need to look to do something different, <laughs> right, wrong, or right, wrong, or, or not. I'm just kind of curious how you, how you would take that. I'm going to date myself and, and a couple people within your audience. Did anybody see the movie nine to five? <laughs> like there were a couple of those kind of inflection points. Okay. Didn't quite give anybody rat poison in their, in their coffee, but uh, no, I, I realized at a certain point that two things were happening and they were a, a common thread throughout my career. One was that no matter how good I was at the job I was doing, I was never going to be able to cross that barrier from executive assistance into management and leadership and risk-taking and decision-making. Um, that's a very rare person that can make that happen because they're different skill sets and because you're perceived as a different type of worker in that environment. So that realization was one, but I think the bigger catalyst 
was around that same time, I realized that I had a talent, not just a, a desire to become a, a business owner and, you know, risk taking and decision making and creativity and yada, yada. But I realized that I had something of value that I wanted to share with the world. And that was that I always ended up being in the gray space between leadership and the people doing their jobs mm -hmm. in a very positive way. I would see the, you know, if we had a, a project come across our, our, our organization or desks or whatever, um, I would be able to see where the potholes and bottlenecks and, you know, landmines on the horizon were and communicate that to leadership because I was part of the pool of the people doing the jobs. I knew where the weaknesses were, where the strengths were, where the ambivalence or the lack of clarity was. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I also was close enough to leadership that I understood what their goals were and, and what, um, what was of value that quarter or that year. And I would translate that to, to the people doing the work. So I often say I've been translating English to English for a really <laughs> long time. So knowing that I had the skill set and the capability to do that, and knowing that I wanted to run my own ship, um, that was that was the turning point for me to go from working for somebody to working with people. Did, did you feel, and maybe I don't know if this took time or was right away. Did you feel being in that kind of you know middle point, if you will, of, of those discussions and seeing this when you were share those ideas to leadership? Did, were those always well received, or did that take time for them to? you know, I guess, give confidence that what you were saying was actually relevant? Um, it, it's organization to organization specific. And I got better at uh, delivering the message the older right. I got. Okay, gotcha. There, there, there's a little bit of um, understanding and, and thinking before you speak that I think that you get when you've gone through the scenario a few different times, you realize um, you need to take into account who your audience is. They may or may not be problem aware. They may or may not be open to whether it's personal development or professional development or hearing from other people. Like there are moments when nobody wants to hear from another person, no matter how well intended. Maybe it's your stress level. Maybe it's your focus on, on the goal. Um, but being able to have that conversation in a way that kept channels of communication open yeah. rather than coming in and saying, no, you're doing it wrong. That, that took a little bit of finesse and, and a little bit of time to learn. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel that there. Did, did you always want to like run your own business? Was that something that you had that idea, you know, as you grew up or was that something that just sparked when you were at this specific role? It, it, it happened at a very specific time. Um, I was never an entrepreneurial child, I was, and I don't know if this is a cause and effect situation. However, I do know that um, my mom came along really late in life for my grandparents and similarly my father. Mm -hmm. So my family, we're not an old family, but we're an old family. Yeah. So a lot of those values, my grandfather being born in 1900, were instilled in me. And they said, well, if you're going to know a business and you're going to succeed, start at the ground level and work your way up. So that's how I got into the world of becoming an assistant or becoming somebody's, you know, second. I thought if I 
just was a giant sponge and made myself invaluable and learned everything from, you know, the person who opens the door at the beginning of the day to the person who closes the door at the end of the day that all someday I would be able to, you know, fill the shoes of, of the people who led the ship. And that's really not the way that the world had worked probably for several decades, but I just didn't know any better. Yeah. Well, and, and I think part of it, you know, there's probably, um, there's probably a level of luck, right, as well, getting to the right organization. When you when you were sharing that, what popped in my head, um, have you ever, did you ever read the book Ride of a Lifetime, the Bob Iger, you know, the CEO of Disney? No. Oh, you would love this. I have it on my shelf here somewhere. There it is. Um, awesome autobiography, by the way. I'd, enc- I'd encourage everyone listening in to, to pick that up. But what you had mentioned was interesting. He had the most entry level job at I, I don't I don't think it, it was an ABC but it was one of like a subsidiary type you know smaller um, thing but anyways and, and there was a story he shares in there about almost getting fired because his boss there was some issue and, he, and luckily it ended up working out where his boss the one got in trouble he was the boss was trying to pin it on him but you look at that at, at, and and I partly the reason I bring that story up is you know the air you know sometimes there's luck involved like if he got fired, we probably never hear Bob Iger potentially, right? Maybe in another light. But the fact is he got that. He worked all the way from the ground floor to be the CEO of Disney. And so it's really just fascinating of like, if you're in the right circumstance and you get a few bricks, you know, sometimes it could work out. But in your case, maybe, you know, you you had felt, well, it's probably not going to work out here. Maybe it's not going to work out anywhere. You know, so I think it just, there's some of that error of, anyways, just that's a random side, (laughs) side note, but- Well, Um, it's an important point, though, because it talks to the value of institutional knowledge, which brings all this back around to, you know, why I do what I do in the way that I work. That that is a driving component of our mission is to take that institutional knowledge and create a place where it's even elevated in value and that it's talked about and the lights shine on it. And the people who have it, um, you know, they get to share it and everybody starts to feel more comfortable with understanding and clarifying what's expected of them and what success looks like. Well, so let's, let's put some fence posts around a couple of things, just as we're having this discussion, what would you, if you, and maybe if you, if you can list two or three, you can list one, you can list five. That's random. I just said two or three, it doesn't matter, but what is, what are the great organizations doing and what are the poor organizations doing now? They might be just opposites, or are there specific things you're seeing um, as we get into some of the stuff, like why employees end up leaving, or why does some feel more valued than others? Like, what do you feel the best organizations are doing? Let's start there, and then we'll we'll take the the other rung of the ladder, if you will. Sure, sure. Um, the the organizations that are retaining their people during this attrition heavy moment. They're the ones that are finding a way, whether it's through a third party or through, you know, HR or their operations department, depending on the size of the organization and the time that people have to invest in it, they are creating scenarios where they are highlighting and really acting upon their intentional listening. They are able to create space for people who may not have been those who spoke up during the meetings or were really active during focus groups or, or you know, social settings to, to business meetings. Not everyone is super comfortable bringing a new idea about or, or 
making suggestions. The companies that are um, retaining their people are the ones that are creating space and finding ways to get that information in a way that makes the person feel confident and comfortable. And again, it can you can go about it in a number of different ways, but intentional listening um, is really the key for success right now. Another another piece of that, if I look into my crystal ball, crystal ball that's never been invaluable, um, the the organizations that are going to continue to be successful, they're going to not they're not going to stop there. They're also going to create an environment that is really appealing for the people who leave now, try their hand at entrepreneurship, decide it's totally not for them, and who come back into the business ecosystem, they're going to be in a position because they will have cleaned house, put their processes in order, put their you know, workflow in order, done all of the things that make for really clear guidance, well, well-defined um, goals, success metrics. Those are the, the steps that um, they're going to take in order to attract talent back and attract maybe even higher caliber talent. Now, the organizations that aren't doing very well are the organizations that are, if we're going to bring it back to, you know, the, the kindergarten level, they've got their fingers in their ears and they sing la, 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 la. They're afraid to hear what the problems are from the people who are actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. They don't want to know the solutions necessarily from those people because it gives them a level of discomfort and insecurity that somehow by doing that, they are handing over the, the keys to the castle or, you know, in, in a really vulgar way saying, you know, well, we're letting the inmates run the asylum. They're, they're not coming at this from a collaborative point of view. They're very leadership and, and authoritarian top heavy down. And that, that isn't appealing for workers who are feeling the message in the zeitgeist that's saying, there's not a lot you have to put up with these days. Let's see what the pastures look like over there. And the, the younger generation that's just kind of entering the workforce and already came in with a, a mindset of disrupt, disruption. Well, and if, and, I, and I'll say this, so you don't have, you can maybe confirm it. I, I mean, at least from my perspective, I also see, let, let's, let's be clear. Organizations are in business to make money and revenue. And some just feel like if we could squeeze out more money and revenue, I don't really care who's in the seat. I just need someone in the seat. I don't necessarily care who. Would, would you agree with that statement on the? There are definitely organizations like that. Um, and, and there will be organizations that are still standing that are like that after all this is said and done. But hopefully there will be fewer. Um, and they won't be the really plum jobs that people are seeking out. You aren't going to necessarily find really excited, excited, innovative um, uh, co-collaborators that want to hop onto a job like that. Or if they do hop in there for some reason, like great benefits or excellent pay or whatever, it'll be for experience and then they'll be taking their, their toys and going elsewhere. It, it won't be a, a long-term scenario. At least that's what we're getting from the feedback that, that our clients, you know, staffs are giving us. Yeah. How, how important, I've been thinking about this concept recently, I, you know, because entrepreneurship is talked about so much. And what I'm finding is like, it's most hard. people. <laughs> well, and, mo and most people, the reality, and I actually, 
I've probably changed my view on this a lot in recent years. I, I mean, I don't think most people should quit their jobs. I think they should find things that they enjoy and try to build them on the side. It could be just a, you know, a garden on the, you know, wherever or good in shape or whatever it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be building a business, but if it is, they could probably do it on the side. Having said all that, how important is organizations allowing more entrepreneurship and having fun projects or things to innovate internally and making employees a part of that process? Like, is that a big talking point that you're hearing a lot? Um, Actually, that that is not one of the mainstay talking points, but it's an excellent point. It is a really creative way to attract people to your organization. Um, you know, professional development, personal development, they're incredibly important. And they're one of the main drivers for people reorganizing themselves. Um, the the skill set that it takes to be an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily learn any other way than just by doing it. So you're you're taking a risk to a certain degree just by saying, I want to try my hand at this. Mm-hmm. It could be time, it could be money, it could be both. Um, but there are a lot of other pieces on the human level that impact that. You're going to face rejection. You're going to face times where you're questioning your own sanity. You're going to face times where you have to decide whether or not your boundaries are strong enough to, you know, make sure you get enough rest or get enough, you know, time with your family or just all of the things. And it's, it's not for everybody. Um, Having a a time where um, we have so many people leaving and potentially a time where so many people will be trying their hand at it. I think that we have maybe two years um, while organizations can start implementing programs like you've suggested. And I think that that will be excellent because there will be some people who are like, I didn't do it right the first time. Maybe entrepreneurship isn't a complete no for me, but I'd like to know how to do it better. And I wouldn't have to rely on it for my sole income. There is comfort in in having resources that, uh, you know, being an employee or, or, you know, having someone uh, provide your benefits and your paycheck and all that kind of stuff. It it feels good. It keeps you safe. And being able to, you know, practice baby steps, go back to when we were all toddlers, you know, we, we crawled before we walked, we walked before we ran and it mm-hmm. took a few long years before we ran well. So yeah. being able to do two parallel is great. Well, and I, and I even think about it as, you know, I, I, let's take myself. I mean, I don't mind speaking about this in real, real time. Um, you know, we're the organization and I've been at several and it's done it different ways, or sometimes I've had a bang on the door a little bit more, but like looking at from, you know, from being in an enterprise sales role, but yet having the skills that I have with podcasting. So in, uh, you know, you know, in the organization I'm currently at, um, I, this is several years ago now, but I saw and I, and I, I think we could have done a lot better. I don't mind speaking, saying we could have done it better, but like I said, Hey, there's an opportunity here to start a podcast for local government, the vertical that I'm into. Let's start this. Let's go through. And I did a ton. I mean, I got to interview like the mayor of Austin and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And it was pretty cool. Uh, Mayor Scottsdale. Like I think about some of these great folks I got to meet by doing that. Now it didn't really go further than a dozen episodes because I didn't have as much support as I wanted with it. But the reason I say that is I was at least given a little bit of like, Brian, go try that, go do it Mm -hmm. where I I could see that being hopefully more than norm going forward. We're like, yeah, this is your major role, but Hey, it seems like you have this skill set over here. We'd love at least you to show up to some meetings or give us your insight. 
and looking out things out of the box versus what we normally do. So just to kind of make a real life case or like kind of like there's all these cool projects and things companies want to do, but it almost seems like, like let's use marketing. Well, if you're in marketing, it's for marketing. Forget about everyone else. Well, no, someone that's in HR might have a cool idea of marketing because they geek out on, you know, Facebook algorithms when they're outside their home, but you wouldn't know that unless you ask. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm going to stop going down that tangent, but <laughs> I, I think it's relevant though, you know, of, of try to look at where the world's going and what people are doing versus the old days, you know? Oh yeah. You know, it, it's not just a leadership responsibility though. I, I think that anyone who is interested in something that can maybe augment their current position, mm-hmm. start trying to do that. You know, like, sure, I'm I'm filing your paperwork, but I can also organize all these filing cabinets. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're going in a direction, just start adding that little value in. And next time you have your, you know, your quarterly meeting or your annual meeting or your job review or whatever, talk about how you had those successful little projects that you just did on the side, but they benefited the organization. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to chat a little bit more about the great resignation. Okay. This is a, this is, this is a hot topic now in our world. One, what is your definition of that? Or maybe the definition. So everyone listening in, or we're on the same page. We hear this in, and there's not water cooler talk anymore, is there? But like we hear this, <laughs> maybe there is whoever's going in the office, but anyways, zoom talk, zoom breakout meeting talk. Um, anyways, what's, what is the great resignation? What does that actually mean? Well, you know, not to repeat myself, but there is a uh, zeitgeist, there's a feeling in the ether um, that collectively the worker level, not necessarily management exclusive or, you know, um, the people who do the jobs exclusive, staff exclusive, uh, people are tapping into what has long been felt but hardly ever acted on and realizing that there is strength in numbers. People are tired of not being heard or not being valued, and they're deciding that they want to reorganize their life. Part of that um, may have been driven by the pandemic, where a lot of people kind of had this existential reevaluation of their priorities and decided that Maybe travel wasn't one of their priorities, or maybe their job itself wasn't just any number of things. They kind of shuffled the deck and work didn't end up being the top card this time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been a, 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 I'd say a long time coming to a certain degree, um, but I don't think that it's ever been talked about to this scale. So with a lot of people moving and this becoming common language and common knowledge, workers do have leverage because the people who are in the position of hiring or, you know, operations are aware that, you know, you're four or five people away from a disaster or a disastrous project, uh, depending on the size of your organization, if you don't care for those who are currently in the fold. Is, is that is a mere just, Hey, let's have conversations. Like, let's say it's a, it's a manager with, with one of their, um, you know, their staff members, or is it more, I mean, there's, because someone, yeah, might say, hey, I don't want to travel anymore. I'm leaving the job. That's one thing. But are there other underlying causes of why someone's saying, I'm going to leave this position that I know well, maybe they're doing well there, and I'm going to go over here with, there's uncertainty, 
but the grass looks greener. Like, are there underlying things more than just communication um, and, and being felt heard, I guess? Certainly. Um, the the lar- largest driver that we're coming across, if we, you know, remove burnout or we remove, you know, culture, um, if we're talking about the mechanics, the the largest driver that we're finding is um, unclear communication surrounding what success looks like. So okay. systems and procedures that have fallen apart, haven't been updated since we had the transition to remote or to hybrid, um, and and people having yet another variable in their life. There there are so many things that aren't that routine that we used to follow. Um, we've had to figure out how to manage it and change it. Being able to go to work and understand exactly A, B, C, D, how to take the steps every day to be successful. If we put those in place and the worker can come into work and actually do those four or five things, they end up the day knowing that they succeeded. And then they end up the week and the quarter and the year. And that has a, a psychological effect of creating um, confidence and and removing anxiety. And so the, there are a lot of pieces beyond the communications and the cultural pieces that, that are driving this. And, and that's you know, some easy work that organizations can do by themselves. They don't need to bring in a, a third-party consultant. They don't need to you know, spend a lot of time um, creating new activities and initiatives through ops or HR. Just being clear, so clear job descriptions, clear uh, quarterly goals, clear annual goals, um, gates of responsibility, clarifying, codifying, usually in a visual manner uh, is what seems to be the prerequisite these days. Um, doing that can can really uh, make an emphasis when you're talking about trying to retain the people who may be on the fence. How important, and let's take, uh, let's step away from a small organization, you know, with if 20 employees, like you kind of know everyone, it's, but let's take a larger organization, you know, many folks may be working at, how important is it to hear that communication, the, the clear and concise um, approach and what have you from management level versus hearing it from like the CEO? Like, is it the, the, the hierarchical structure is important to hear from like the, the top dog, if you will, does it, does it have more residence? residents is that the phrase does it resonate more with folks i don't know um but uh does it resonate more with folks when it comes from something you know someone that high on the totem pole for lack of a better phrase i guess well i think that it's about alignment of message and messaging i think that it's important that the you know the supreme leader uh points out the north star but generally if you have you know a thousand ten thousand employees that leader isn't going to have a one-on-one conversation or see you at the non-existent water cooler. Who you will see and have conversations with is your manager. So yes, that filter down from the very top, say it's the newsletter, the intranet, or you know, however that blast message comes about. Yes, people take notice of, of what leadership is saying, but having managers who have been encouraged to participate in management training recently the game has changed so active management training and those managers reinforcing those messages from high up with individuals in their teams or their pods or their departments you know whatever you're calling them these days 
um, is extraordinarily important. It, it doesn't matter if you have once a month or once a week email blast that says, you know, from the president, this is what we're saying. If the people who aren't actively involved in the day-to-day -day with the staff aren't also speaking the same language and talking about the same goals and valuing the work that's happening toward those goals, um, it's it's just falling on deaf ears because it's really just more text to read. Yeah. It's it and ain't nobody got time for that, as they say. It, well, it's also interesting too because especially with large organizations that have a lot of you know tiers, if you will, to their their structure, you might have someone in a similar position that's and I don't we make up at age sixty years old, and someone else might be thirty five, and they might be in similar, you know. But so how do those different because obviously it's different generations, different things they're exposed to. How do they communicate the messaging as well to their staff, right? Because they'd be totally different. Multi-generational communication right now is starting to become a really interesting and, and discussed topic. Um, there are a number of different uh, workshops and, you know, hour-long programming that you can watch on, you know, YouTube or through LinkedIn or whatever that are talking about how best to capture the learning and the understanding styles of the various generations and the motivations behind them. Um, recently, there was a, an article, I think that it was in LinkedIn, um, talking about if you are Gen X or uh, close to retirement age and you don't have um, a millennial mentor, not mentee, but mentor, you're missing out. So that's flipping the, you know, the framework on its head. Get somebody younger than you to be your mentor teach you about the communications channels, teach you about the communications platform, maybe even teach you about the language. Um, to a certain degree, it's, it's going to be um, a customized question depending on the industry. Um, but you know, when I'm working with organizations, one of the things that I'm trying to do early on in, in our conversations, let's say in our focus grouping is I'm trying to take those with institutional knowledge, generally the older set, and give them a platform to share that knowledge so that we're um, not only business building, but we're relationship building. And we're teaching the people who may be younger where to go for answers. And then those younger people, as they're moving up in the ladder or you know across the platform, they're, they're teaching others the methodology with which to communicate that information. Maybe it's a, a millennial or a Gen Z that, um, you know, they're not into email. They're they're into something else. Something else works better for them, whether it's a Slack or, you know, whatever the platform. I'm kind of, kind of agnostic on that. But the important point is developing the relationships so you know where to go to get the, the question answered and then developing the channels with which you share that information on that best suit the environment that you're in. It reminds me when you were talking about that, um, and I think I'm going to get this right, but it was um, I had Chip Conley on. I don't know if you, if you know Chip or not, but he was, uh, gosh, he was on like 200 episodes ago. God, time flies. Um, <laughs> but I remember when you know, he was telling, I think it's called The Modern Elder. I, I want to say one of his books is by that title. Anyways, not to get off topic, but he talked about like when he came in to help the founders of Airbnb continue to scale and he kind of came in, he was old, you know, he was, let's say in his early fifties or whatever. And he's working with all these folks that are in their twenties. 
um, or early thirties. And it was one of those things where, you know, he talks a lot about, yes, the ego sometimes, I, I don't know if that might be the best word, maybe not, but like, you're so used to all these things you've done is when you're older, but yet asking advice of the younger folks and learning from them, you actually become more viable um, with what you're doing and vice versa. It's got to work together. But anyways, that just reminded me of that, like that, that point of just because you're older doesn't mean you know everything because there are different ways of looking at it uh, depending on who you're working with or the, you know, the the business you're in, the markets, et cetera. Well, and and that kind of goes back to your original question. What are the organizations that aren't doing well doing their first answer to just about any question is that's, the way we've always done it. Yeah. Being that older in my 50s person, um, I am really tickled that I have this moment in time to be doing this work because I am constantly faced with acknowledging my own unconscious bias. Mm. It's not about younger people, but it may be about, you know, well, you should communicate this way. Not Elizabeth, why should we? Why? Because you were taught that way. You know, I'm, I'm always in somebody else's environment. And my main job is to listen, aggregate information, and then share it back and say, did I hear this correctly? We have, you know, nine out of 10 of you would really like to communicate this type of information in this way, or, you know, whatever the process or the, the policy is that, that we're discussing. I can't come in with predetermined ideas and solutions that's not a good way for me to be a consultant. For me to be a consultant is to come in and listen to your needs and see if we can mine those solutions from the people who are actually in there every day getting their hands dirty. And then facilitate that, memorialize it, codify it, whatever needs to happen. All right, just one or two more questions. This is a really good conversation. I had this circle on here. I know we chatted briefly, I think, on our last conversation. It's been a little while. I under I underscored the dinner table test. <laughs> Could you chat? Could you chat about that just for a minute? Okay, sure. Um, and and I believe it was during our conversation where you said, "Oh, I've heard of something similar to this, but it's called something else." Doesn't mean that you didn't come up with yours, though. Um, but well, I, I at least came up with my criteria. Yes. Um, when I am looking to partner with someone and collaborate on their success. I need to make sure that I am a good personality fit to that organization or that team that I'm working with. Doesn't mean that we all have to, you know, immediately embrace each other and see eye to eye and have a a shorthand that just came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm looking for people who are problem aware, who are interested in personal professional development for their teams, who are interested in retaining as many people and doing right by them as they can because they all went through the pandemic together, those kind of things. So yeah, there's a, a, a conversation that we'll have and we'll feel each other out. That's just how business is. But my first level is, yes, I would love to have you come over to my house, meet my dogs, hang out by the barbecue. You are invited to dinner, level one. Second is, you know, we've got a little bit of dating to do before we should maybe figure that we're committed to each other. And, and that's the, the level two, I would gladly sit next to you on an airplane across the country. We would have a fabulous conversation, but I'm not ready to have you over to the house yet. And then, you know, if it's just, 
really obvious that it's a messy, not going to work situation, and you probably would have stormed the Capitol on January 6th, then we're not going to work together. <laughs> well, I think, no, you know, it is interesting, though, coming up with some of those boxes, at least, it does help because like, yeah, if you're not meshing with someone, and I, I talk with folks about this as well, like, like from a sales standpoint, like bringing on new clients, especially entrepreneurs that are growing their business. It's like, yeah, you, it's easy to say, I want everyone because I need to make money and I got to grow this thing, but you're, and I can't remember exactly where I, I'm not going to give credit of, of who I heard this from, but I thought it was really uh, profound was like your first 10 clients really structure the culture of what the next thousand are going to be. So if you're bringing in folks that you don't really work well with, or they don't align with your, you know, kind of moral code, that's going to set you up maybe for, you know, a, a poor way of doing business down the road. Cause now you're going to start letting in all those folks. They might be bad references. They might be whatever. So I think that's a great point um, to have some of those barriers. I think that you, you learn along the way, you know, yeah. sometimes you get scared that the doors won't stay open or the credit card bills won't get paid. And you just all work with anybody and you realize you can't work with any, just anybody. I think that, from the, the you know the thirty five thousand foot view, you can't succeed for just anybody. Mm. You need to make sure that the two of you see eye to eye on what success is, and and you stay there. Mm -hmm. um, and and that can be a problem if you just throw your services out, um, especially if you're in a partnership situation, a collaborative situation where you're really putting your blood, sweat, tears, and creativity into to solving a problem. It may be different if, if what you're selling is mattresses. Well, yeah, you're, I think you're right. And from the standpoint of you, just like, you know, like what you do, right. You don't do everything, you know, you're not selling coffee machines and then you're not, you know, you're not, you know, doing dry clean, like you're not doing all these different services. You have one hyper focus. It's the same way with choosing clients, right? Cause if, because the whole point, is like if you have a, a partner you're working with that's not the best fit and let's say it doesn't work well they don't get as much value out so now if someone asks them oh what do you think about elizabeth well they were okay they well you might have done great work with them and they could have got value in a small part but they didn't see full value because it wasn't the right fit and i think sometimes that gets lost early on when again you're trying to just bring in revenue so you clarified that perfectly i just babbled and you just nailed it <laughs> All right. Well, let's, I, I want to get you out on this and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'll allow you, you can do whatever you want on here. So it's not allowing, but you could take two paths here. You can take the entrepreneur, you know, like yourself that transitioned, right. And got started with, with your own business. And you could take it from an organization trying to do things a little bit differently. Okay. So you could pick one piece of advice, you could pick multiple, but a quote, a piece of advice, some insight to get, people started on a new path to think differently, what would you share to get them out the door and, and get started? I'm going to pull from what could have taken me off of my path over this last couple of years, but I'm really glad that I kept reminding myself. Um, there's an Ayn Rand quote, value no one's opinion higher than your own. And it can, like all quotes, be totally misconstrued and used seven different ways. However, the way that 
I'm practicing it and have practiced it was that we're the work that my firm does is not necessarily unique, but the way that we do it is unique. Internal comms, organizational development, hundreds and hundreds of other firms do it. But the way that we do it by mining the solutions from the inside, by creating the, the you know, personal relationships, by being an unbiased third party um, who specifically touches in with every single person within the organization, that's not usual. And there are many times when I question the sanity of all of this because it's time consuming. It's, you know, there's there's a whole lot of energy expenditure in doing the work that way. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, having helped another person on a personal level, having helped an organization stay whole um, makes me feel good. So over the last couple of years, a lot of people have given me advice. You know, it's, it's harder to scale if I do it this way. It's, you know, you should do group coaching. You should do workshops. You let not my style. And each time I I tried to think, well, I suppose I could develop that or create that or go in that direction. I ended up realizing after I gamed it out in my head that I was losing the thing that was special about us. And, and so um, in that way, I'm trying to value no one's opinion higher than my own. And I would hope that entrepreneurs um, who are going to really try and stick it out for that first two years, keep that in mind. It's not to say don't follow your gut and don't follow good um, advice. Be open and listen. But if what you know that you are trying to develop isn't as clear to everybody else as it is to you, work on your messaging rather than giving up your dream. That's a fabulous, fabulous point. I love that. (laughs) I, I, I think you, I mean, you nailed it there. It's like, you're going to, by the way, we, we know the phrase opinions are, you know, so we, we hear, we hear opinions all the time. We hear advice, we hear insight. Most of it's unsolicited, you know, but I mean, think about, you know, what's so funny is even thinking about, I'll use this pot. I mean, I use this podcast as the example on a lot of stuff because I think it relates hopefully to people that maybe aren't even, they're working a full-time job. They haven't started anything and, and they want to do something, you know, maybe fun, I remember the amount of people when I told I was going to start a podcast or even when I first started it, it was like, you're doing a podcast because they thought of the, the Joe Rogans of the world and, and, and all these other folks that are doing podcasts. And they're like, who are you to think you can do it? And if I, if I took that, I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. Maybe why am I doing this? It wouldn't have become what it, what it has. Now it's not a massive show, but you know, it's grown a lot in you know, over four years. I appreciate that. But you and know, this what, is your best episode. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, but again, it's but it goes back to well, I'm glad you actually said that because it goes back to one of the reasons I keep doing the podcast is because of the great conversations and the people I get to meet. That's my value of like, no, wait a minute, I enjoy interviewing. I, I've been told I'm good at interviewing. I think I'm I'm good. I don't, you know, but um, but it's the conversations I get to have. It's the interactions. It's the learning. The curiosity. That's what keeps me excited for the next episode and the next episode. So I think yeah. it goes back to it's like yeah, people can tell you pivot, do this all the way, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with you, and you have to do what you want to do because ultimately you have to live with yourself in those decisions. Yeah. So. Yep. Elizabeth, this has been a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> It's been a lot of fun. 
What uh, where can everyone find you online if they want to say hello? Where could they uh, do that? Sure. If if people are interested in um, working with me, the firm is called L12 Services. And so the website is l12services.com, the letter L, one, two, services.com. And if anybody wants to chat with me on LinkedIn, my name is a, a solely unique spelling creation. Um, my first name doesn't have an E at the beginning. So it's like Elizabeth without the E, Elizabeth Wesley Casella. Elizabeth, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on and uh, and sharing your journey and insight. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been great. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> we'll definitely have to come back and have a, uh, a part two here very soon. Hey, everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.